The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Miracles in Recovery with Ray Lynch. If you are one of the millions of people facing addiction issues or the loved one of someone who is, we're here to help and to discuss solutions. Hope is in your corner. Now, here's your host, Ray Lynch. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Miracles in Recovery. My name is Ray. On the phone, she's not in the studio. I'm all by my lonesome today. But that's okay. Uh, how are you doing, Errol? Doing good. How about you? Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, I want to start the show off with how we usually do. We'll be discussing all aspects of addiction and recovery and how they affect our communities, families, and the relationships within them. We're going to take a little bit of a twist tonight from our common uh, 60 Minutes about addiction and recovery. Uh, we have Terrence Patrick McGowan on the line, and he is the author of The Silence of War, An Old Marine in a Young Marine's War. I started reading the book, and I think it's very, very enlightening, and um, there's a couple of uh, remember whens in there from, from when I served. Terry is a Marine. I'm a Marine, so simplify, Terry. How are you? Simplify, Ray. I'm very fine. How are you? Awesome. Awesome. I should be calling you sir, right? Because you're a captain. <laughs> well, that won't be necessary in Afghanistan. <laughs> uh, everybody called me old man. <laughs> yeah. The, the, yeah, the well. lieutenant the lieutenant was the only one who called me sir, and finally he even got over that. He called me Terry. <laughs> yeah, I got you. I was in, I was, I was in the air wing, so we, we kind of just used rank instead of sir. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so just to, just to put a precursor out there, phone lines are open. Dial 866-472-5792 if you have any questions for Terry, if you want to comment, if you want to ask him about his book. What we're going to do is we're going to speak the first segment about the book itself. So what I see here is we have a forward in the book by Bill O'Reilly. Terry, can you tell me how you got Bill O'Reilly to... Oh, actually, tell me how long it took you to do the book, and then... Share with me how you got Bill O'Reilly to write the forward. Um, people ask me how long it took me to write the book because I think they're you know, contemplating writing a book themselves and they want to figure out how long it's going to take. The answer to your question is I really don't have an answer. I mean, uh, I, I was living in Florida at the time. Uh, I, I realized I couldn't get anything done in Florida. So I, uh, I got another former Marine. He's in the book too, Jack McMahon, retired lieutenant colonel in the uh, reserve. He's divorced. He had a house and has a house in Warwick, Rhode Island. He said, "Come on up here. You can have one of the rooms and you know, sequester yourself and write the book." So I did. My brother and his kids live in about three and a half hours away in upstate New York, and I spent a lot of time with them. Uh, I'd spend a lot of extended weekends with them. So you know, and, and then 
on top of that, I'm a terrible procrastinator. I sit there in front of the computer all day long, and finally late at night, I go, damn it, I've got to get something done, and then I go banging away on the keyboard until you know, the wee hours in the morning. Uh, so how long did it take me? I don't know. I, I started, I left, I, I arrived in New York on uh, March the 6th, 2012. I went back to Florida at the end of June for my oldest nephew's 20th birthday, and then I stayed until the 30th of July when my mom turned 88. Then I went back to Rhode Island and probably got started in earnest. So um, I went to Ireland in the uh, summer of 2013, and I, went, I left going over there thinking the book was done. When I came back, I looked at it and said, no, no, it isn't. And I probably spent another six months. Uh, no, uh, you know, no let, me ask you, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Did you have a publisher at the time and they were waiting no. for the book to be? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, this was on a wing and a prayer. Um, nope. I, it was one of those deals where I had decided I'm going to run up the flagpole and see if anybody salutes. Uh, for oh, nice. all I knew, that book was going to stay on my computer the day I died. I had this, <laughs> uh, this, I had this, if you will, this connection. I, I, uh, a friend of another, another Marine, who's also going to mention the book, Bill Osborne, uh, he'd, be, he'd be back in our era. Um, he uh, he introduced me. Uh, he's from Wisconsin, and I went out there, and we had lunch with a guy who's a, a well-published author, and uh, Lance Hurtigan is his name, and he's done a lot of a lot of military uh, history books. And uh, so I sat down and having lunch with him. I said, Ray, I said, uh, Lance, if you recommend my book to your publisher, will he publish it? And he gave me a funny look, and he said, Yes. And I said, Will you? And he goes, if I like it, I said, fair enough. <laughs> so nice. when I was done, I sent it to him. And uh, he gave it the thumbs up and recommended it to his publisher, who would have been, it was a small-time publisher, too. Uh, I'm kind of lucky in a way. He said he liked it, and then I didn't hear another thing from him for a year. By that time, I had, uh, I had acquired an agent uh, through another Marine contact, you know, the good old boy club out there. Uh, oh, yeah, right, absolutely. Marine Corps is the world's largest fraternity, and it's kind of like an iceberg. It's below the surface. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Frederick Peterson retired. Um, he put me in touch with a friend of his who, who was a, a, a book agent. He took on the book, uh, and uh, and then uh, we landed a, a major publisher. And at the same time, the original publisher said, "Hey, is it still available? I like it." And I'm thinking you could have had it a year ago, bud. You know, but you know, but no, it wasn't available, which is to my advantage because the uh, you know the publicity the the, the the book is really out there, and it wouldn't have been uh, if if I'd have gone with a smaller publisher. Right. So it's, well, for, I mean, fortunately enough, it happened the way that it happened. How did exactly. you get Bill O'Reilly to uh, write your forward for you? Well, um, I, I, my cousin asked me that question, and uh, with tongue in cheek, I responded. I asked him, uh, which uh, Bill and I go way back. Uh, we, we we met each other when we were eighteen. We went to Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. Uh, uh-huh. He lived across the hall in the in the dormitory. So I've known we've known each other since. Uh, what, fall of 1967? Uh, uh-huh. So I, I did, in fact, just ask him. I just say, hey, Bill, would you write the forward? He said, sure. Cool. Now, now I, I saw in the in some of the notes that um, I'm just going to read this, and then maybe you can explain a little bit as to, you know, okay. fill in the holes. It says, Terry McGowan has been a beat cop, a Marine captain, and a special agent for the FBI before retiring at the age of 50. But when tragedy struck in the United States on September 11, 2001, Terry felt the undiminished sense of duty to protect and serve his country. You went back in the Marine Corps. Well, um, I tried. You tried to. Uh, right. I tried to go back. I called a recruiter. Uh, 
And uh, when he heard my age, he almost, I, I quip in the book that, I, that I, he choked on his coffee and said, don't call us, we'll call you, but only if aliens from outer space invade Los Angeles. The movie right. uh, Battle for L.A. Was, uh, was in the theaters at the time. Uh, aliens were invading Los Angeles, and the, means, the Marines were the only ones that kicked their ass. Um, you know, the reality is he heard my age and said, yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, I was in law school at the time. I did it backwards. I, I, was in, I retired from the FBI, and then I went to law school. Um, so one of my professors was a former Marine. He was in his 70s easily. And uh, he, he was an all-M1 Grand Marine, I think. Uh, hell, in his case, he might have been Karen of Springfield. But um, uh, he was, he's well-known in, in internationally in, in uh, legal circles. So I went in and I saw him and I said, Hey, Professor, you got any hooks? And uh, he goes, You know, when I called and I tried to come back, they wouldn't take me either. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was just hilarious. I think we all made that. Yeah, I think we all yeah, made that. Everybody, call, you know I, what I mean, like I bet you only know it that we were older. Yeah, I bet you recruiters are deluged, were deluged at that time by uh, by uh, old war dogs who wanted to come back in any capacity. He, he was saying they could, you know, they could have taken me. I'd, I'd man the desk and let somebody else go forward. Absolutely. Which you know, he's right. If it was World War Three, if it, you know, or World War Two, that's probably what would have happened. Absolutely. Um, but, but uh, you know they, they could have put him to use, put him to great use in the in the, in the uh, judge advocate general's uh, uh, the legal uh, section. But anyway, it, you know it didn't happen, and uh, I finished law school, and uh, and then I uh, and then some some young kids that I knew I call them kids uh, some young men that I knew got uh, uh, were sent over, and uh, they didn't always come back. And uh, I, you know. I was in pretty tip-top condition. I mean, uh, my brother calls me a mutant. Um, I, I like to say, and he's younger than me, so I tell him I got all the good genes and there wasn't anything left for him. Um, you know, I, I just was in terrific good, terrifically good shape, uh, crazy good shape, and um, and I knew I, I knew I still had it in me. So in 06, I started spinning up, uh, blowing the dust off the uh, the training, uh, doing civilian courses and shoot, move, and all that good stuff. And uh, 07, it's not in the book, but it was actually O'Reilly who made it happen. I got a hold of him and I said, hey, listen, you know, the days of the cowboy contractor are over. I got to get into uh-huh. war. And he said, send me, send me a resume, make it professional, and uh, I'll see what I can do. He, he had a guy who was a, what they call a talking head, uh, or, you know, somebody who uh, they, they bring on every now and again to talk about uh, uh, interesting. Oh, okay, about this and that. Yeah, right, I got you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he gave my resume to this guy who was a retired lieutenant colonel in the Marines, and he hired me for a a specific group and a specific mission that was going to Iraq to do something you know classified, which did not involve killing people. Um, so in '07, I was in Iraq for a brief time, but no more than a month, I would say. I would say um, that opened my eyes to a lot of things. That's in the book, and um, and then uh, while I was over there, I met a couple of guys. Uh, Two retired uh, DEA, one retired FBI, and they were called LEPs, law enforcement professionals. Yes. And talking to them, I knew that I could do what they were doing. So I got the contact information from one of them, and when I came back, I made the call. And the short version, so I can come up for air, is that uh, I ended up back embedded with the Marines in Afghanistan. Not back in the Marine Corps, but I was embedded. I was a civilian, and I was embedded with the, with uh, with Marines in Afghanistan. Uh, like I said, so let me so let me ask Jerry. Like story. like we yeah. had we had um, you know quote unquote tech reps in the squadron that I was in. Were you you would be considered a were you like a did you have like a GS rating or were you just a civilian there assisting? 
No, I was a, I, I did have a GS rating. I forget what it was. Okay. It was GS, GS ridiculously high, and nobody cared anyway. Yeah. Um, I mean, nobody, nobody paid any the slightest attention to it. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, you know, with, with the Marines, call, I, I was a secret squirrel to them. Uh, anybody with gray hair, no rank insignia, no name tape was called a secret squirrel. Uh, right. So I even had I even had the, that tape made up to match the digi camouflage uniform. Uh, yeah, I read that. And, yeah. All, all, all my all, all the pictures of me with uh, with battle rattle on uh, says secret squirrel, and uh, the guys got the biggest kick out of it. So did I. Um, you know, I just the, the war in Iraq was ready for leps, and they were doing you know work that they would been they'd spend their careers preparing for. Uh, of the three guys I met over there, uh, two of them were helping the the Iraqi police put together cases to take to trial in Iraqi courts, which were only just then coming out of hiding, getting out. Now, what would those cases be? I, I read that, but you didn't You didn't really explain. You just Well, you know, you that's kind that. of interesting, too, because my brother was a colonel in the Air Force, and he was one of the judges who was doing that in Baghdad. Okay. Yeah, it, yeah. And it, at, at the time, there was what they call CCC, and don't ask me now what it stands for, but something, the last letter was of the C was probably court. So your brother would really right. remember that. We we were in the, in 2007. They were transitioning to it, it was in Al Anbar province, which was the Marine province. They were transitioning to uh, they had they brought like 12 Iraqi judges out of hiding. I think Al Anbar was divided up into 12 judicial districts, and they were bringing in. They they finally had enough confidence to come out of hiding, and and they were getting ready to do their judge thing under Iraqi law. Um, one uh, one Marine was a uh, he was in the reserves. He was a lawyer in real life, and he was a a, a, a bird colonel in the reserves. And he was working hand in hand with a, an active duty bird colonel, working with the judges, ready to get the courts up and running. Two of the uh, DEA guys uh, were were working on getting the cases prepared so so they could go to trial. And you ask me what the what what they were charged with, and that was a really good question because one of the things that the uh, major in command of the uh, the uh, Marine unit in downtown Fallujah, uh, which is where all this took place, uh, what he told me is there's 500 guys in this jail, like within spitting distance of his, his location, 500 guys in this jail uh, built for 50, and nobody really knows what they're charged with. They've been, they were arrested God knows how long ago, maybe years ago, and they're just being held. And okay. he, said, I said, well, he said, I said, he said, he said something to the effect of, you know, I, I, I may go to jail for this. And he said, but, but I, but he says, but at least, he said, at least they didn't shoot him in the back of the head and dump him in the river, which is how they used right, to Right, they, they, they had a fair, they had a, they had yeah. a fair legal trial. Yeah. Well, they, they, they didn't, they just arrested him and held him. Uh, they didn't, they didn't have a trial. Well, I mean, ultimately so they, they did. They held him for okay. indefinitely and nobody, nobody even remember what they were arrested for at the time. So, so these DEA guys are going to getting together with the, uh, the, uh, the detectives and the Iraqi police, and they're trying to figure out what the hell, who, you know, what's Ahmed in here for, and how do we, how do we prove to any court that he's guilty of anything? And because they didn't have a real court system set up, right? They were just in the process of setting up a post-Saddam Iraqi court system. It would have been modeled on Iraqi law, whatever that is, and um, and probably Iraqi law as it functioned under Saddam, but um, with the with the caveat that under him, you know. The judge ruled however he wanted to rule, um, but that's what they were doing. Um, and so I looked at that and I thought, well, yeah, I, I could do this. So when I got to Afghanistan, the mission of the battalion I was with, Second Battalion, Seventh Marines, was uh, was to train uh, Afghan National Police called AMPs. And you know, 
those guys, when I, I, I got there and I realized right away, there was, first of all, there were no courts. <laughs> there weren't any courts. And uh, as, you know, huh. as I had a chit-chat with, uh, with the battalion commander, I said, uh, you know, police without courts are a militia. <laughs> they're not oh, yeah, no, They're a militia. Absolutely. You know, yeah. so like, what, what are they going to do with anybody they arrest? And he's going, hmm, that's a pretty good point. And, uh, and, and, the, and the fact is that at that time, I said, look, they're at least five years away from, from a, a court system being up and running. And they're at least five years away from any, needing a guy like me. Uh, actually, in reality, they're probably more than five. Hell, I, I don't think anything's any better now, and it's been eight years. Um, so bottom line is, I just looked for a way to make myself value-added. I looked for a way to make myself useful. Uh-huh. Um, the battalion commander and I got along great, and uh, he basically just said, okay, just go. <laughs> Figure out a way to make yourself useful. Uh, and uh, and so I did, and I ended up where I ended up. Nice. I mean, you know, I was like, I was reading, uh, I, I'm going to tell you, I cheated a little bit, and I went on to Audible. <laughs> I was I was driving to my daughter's house for uh, Thanksgiving, so I had the, the opportunity of listening three hours west and three hours back east. So, you know, I, I cheated a little bit. But, you know, that's, it's, a, it's a definitely an interesting book, and you don't necessarily have to have a military background or military understanding to read what Terry has on the papers. You know what I mean? Like we see in our living room, um, thankfully due to media wanting to deluge us with with everything that uh you know would make them look that much better uh we see war in our living room on a daily basis and to read terry's book and to get an understanding of an individual that was in country that was on ground on the ground while all of this stuff is going on is a little bit different perspective than what it is that the civilians get to see. I remember I was over in uh, in Beirut, Lebanon, and what we saw was completely different than what they gave for a news feed. You know, like they they sh- they showed things being blown up. They didn't show the resort right next door where people were basking in the sun out by the pool while stuff was blowing up around them. It's just it's just crazy. Yeah. Well, and on a similar note in uh, Afghanistan, uh, which is the world's largest producer of poppy, by the way, which can be processed right. into opium and, then, uh, and so on. But um, they, there would be uh, all kinds of uh, dog and pony shows uh, showing uh, Afghan troops burning poppy fields. The reality is they'd burn like an acre, and then they'd pay the farmer <laughs> for the acre, and the other 100 acres are still growing poppy. You know, like, the cameras would just take pictures of it from different angles. It was all nonsense. Right, exactly. There was no poppy eradication yeah. going on at the time, but... Um, yeah, I, I, I get that. You know, and it, it, it's, uh, it was definitely, um, you know, I was grateful that, you know, you're talking about 29 stumps and, and some of the other places that you were at Pendleton. I, I never went to Pendleton, but I was, you know, I was down in San Diego, 32nd street pier. That's where I jumped on a boat, uh, ship, shall I say. And, um, you know, when I went around the world, actually, I was in every single time zone, but you know, lucky, it lucky was you. good. Pardon me. I said, "Lucky you." Oh yeah, it was good to. It was good to read. I didn't get to go anywhere. Well, I mean, outside of Iraq and Afghanistan, I mean. Well, no, active, uh, when I was on active duty, when I was an active oh, duty oh, okay. Marine, uh, okay. I, you know, I kept put. I even put in for Okinawa, and they would, you know, like, first they said, "Oh, you need two years on station." Carter was president, and he was cut the slash yeah. in the budget. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I had two years, and like 
called uh, again. He said, oh, we'd love to send you. You got three years on station? I said, no, I thought it was two. He said, no, now it's three. So yeah, finally, right. uh, you know, I had to make yeah, a decision. You didn't have enough time to, to make it because you need you need a year over there now or at least two, right? 15, uh, 18 months? You know, yeah. this was back in, you know, in the 70s, we're talking about rotating to, to uh, yeah. Okinawa. And there were floats going out from, from Okinawa. And there were floats going out from Lejeune, the 2nd Marine Division. Right. But, uh, you know, Pendleton, we, we had been in cadre status. We weren't even a real division. We were just the headquarters flag. The flag was waving. Okay. And they were bringing it back up to division status when, when I joined them. So right. I got uh, you. We, uh, we're getting ready to go to a break. And what we're going to do is on the other side of the, uh, on the, other side of the break, we're going to speak about... Um, suicide rates and alcoholism and things like that that you've witnessed while you were back in on active duty. Call 866-472-5792 if you would like to speak to Terry or even share your experience, strength, and hope. We'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. It's time to experience radical well-being. Learn to nourish your heart, body, and mind. Manifest your power in the present and learn to live your life's infinite potential. It's time to experience Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio with host Rochelle McLaughlin. Each week, you'll learn about essential skills and knowledge to help you discover and create your own experience of health and well-being and learn to be empowered to take bold and loving action toward manifesting the life you long for. Tune in every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific and 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America's Health and Wellness Channel. The root causes of disease can be better prevented and cured using an integration of modern medicine and holistic healing techniques. Become educated by tuning in to Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. Conventional medicine does have its place, but it should not be the only course of action. It's all about regenerating and healing our whole selves through better choices in lifestyle, foods, spiritual connection, and stress management. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Miracles in Recovery. To reach the program today, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Ray at miraclesinrecovery.org. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back, everyone. If you or your organization would like to be a featured guest on the show, like Terry is tonight, 
please send an email to ray at miraclesinrecovery.org. We will send you an information packet on how to schedule a time for you to be on the show for the full hour so we can focus on what you have to bring to the recovery community or any community if you would like to get your message out there. Use us as your, as your venue. Phone lines are open. Dial 866-472-5792. We have Terry McGowan on the phone, and he is the author of The Silence of War, An Old Marine in a Young Marine's War. I started reading the book. Uh, Terry, share with them where they can find the book, where they can buy the book, and um, how they can ultimately get in touch with you or see anything if you do blogging or anything like that. Share about who you are, how they can find the book, and then we'll okay. get into um, something else. All right. Well, my name is uh, Terrence. Uh, I go by Terry, uh, but uh, you know, my formal name is Terrence Patrick McGowan. Um, I'm 67. I turned 58 in Afghanistan. I'm a former former active duty Marine. I was embedded with 2nd Battalion, 7th Marines in Afghanistan. Uh, we were the, among the first Marines back in that country since the initial invasion. I was fully embedded, so I was in a uniform with the guys, toting a rifle, yada, yada, et cetera. Um, the book is uh, on Amazon. Amazon.com is easy easy way to get it. They'll have it to your doorstep and nothing flat. It's in all the major bookstores. It's uh, last I checked, uh, last I heard. Uh, Barnes & Noble should have it. Uh, Books A Million had a couple of copies. Uh, somebody sent me a picture from Costco. Uh, I think it's in some of the post exchanges, uh, you know, my, my, People that I know, relatives and friends, will, will see it somewhere and they'll take a picture of it and send it to me. I believe it's in Versailles uh, and Quantico also in the Marine Corps Association uh, bookstore. Oh, but, nice. um, you know, uh, if, Can somebody uh, get, like if somebody wanted to reach out to you and share like maybe their experiences, why don't you give a, an email address or something? I don't want you to give your phone number because then... Everybody right. be calling you off the hook. But, you know, maybe an email address or something like that. So if somebody wants to read the book and share their experience of what they read, um, they'll be able to do so. All right. Uh, my email address is Terry, all small I, I guess it doesn't matter anymore, but all small letters, T-E-R-R-Y dot McGowan, M-C-G-O-W-A-N, at hotmail.com. So Terry T R R Y dot McGowan M C G O W A N at hotmail dot com. Awesome. That's my 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 personal email address. I hope I'm not regretting giving it out, uh, but if so, oh well. Uh, no, I, I mean you know I you know just let's just be respectful of the author. He's given us his time. He's given us given us a perspective of his book. And you know if you want to uh, share your 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 experience or your experience reading it, please by all means do that. Uh, uh, phone lines know, even, are open. Dial 866-472-5792. I mean, What's that, Terry? I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, even more to the point, you know, uh, what I, the feedback I get from people is that uh, the book is, is helpful to them. Um, now, uh-huh. not, of course, you, you, know, you can't please everybody. Um, one wife uh, made it a point to send me an email, and, and she said, uh, her husband never talks about the war, but she knows it. She knows it bothers him, mm-hmm. and uh, she said what he does say. She knows she's getting the watered down version. She knows that because when he gets together with other Marines, she overhear bits and pieces. And she said basically when she read my books, it's like it was an aha moment. She said, "Oh, cow, holy cow! Now I know what he went through." Um, right. 
pretty sure he was in my platoon too. So we we were you know we were standing there together. But um, you know, if somebody you know, first of all, if you're suicidal, you know, consider me one of the people you reach out to. I mean, you know, uh, if you're having a real problem with uh, drugs or alcohol, I mean, hey, you know, send me an email. We'll, we'll, we'll chat about it. I'll see if, see if I can't steer you in the right direction. But also, right, exactly. if you're with even people, if even if that's the case, Terry, if somebody if somebody reaches out to you and they're sharing their personal experience and they, you know, they're having a problem problem with drugs or alcohol, just push them our way as well. You know, they can. Oh they yeah, can, I would. Uh, I would. Know, I'm not a professional, so yeah, I would. Well, I mean, uh, I'm not a professional well, either, but I either. do have a little bit of experience. <laughs> okay. I have okay. like 27, almost 28 years uh, experience uh, being clean one day at a time. So, okay. you know, that <laughs> that helps a little bit. Sure it does. Yeah, yeah, so I, I, I view it from the family perspective. I'm a mother of two addicts. So. Okay. And my brother was... Family, uh, family members can reach out to me. I certainly understand the pain and hopelessness that you're going through because it's a really, really tough thing to deal with. Especially, you know, in this day and age with the opioid crisis, where it is. And I thought it was interesting when you were talking about them burning the poppy fields. I've heard that most of the heroin that is in the United States is coming in from Afghanistan. Do you believe that's true? At the time I was in Afghanistan, uh, I did a lot of my own, I did a lot of homework before I went there. And uh, at, the, at that time, at least, 2008, uh, the heroin coming into the United States was coming up from Mexico. The heroin in Afghanistan was going to addicts in Iran, China, and for some other reason, the Netherlands. So, um, no, the, 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 the poppy wasn't, at that time at least, to the best of my knowledge and belief, was not coming from Afghanistan to the United States. No, I, th- I think that's just like recent. I mean, it probably in a roundabout way some way. But, you know, you, would, you were speaking, you, you did say the word, a key word that I, want, that I remembered was uh, suicide. So I'm sure that you have uh, seen within the people that you were out uh, in Afghanistan with a little bit of PTSD, and maybe that has brought on a little bit of uh, like alcoholism or even alcohol-induced suicide, as you wrote in your note. Right. Well, first, let me just uh, back up just a second and you know, kind of establish my, my basis for understanding also. My brother has been clean now a little over a year. He was, uh, I only have awesome. one brother, and I'm 15 years older than him. He was addicted to uh, pain meds, and he would, mm-hmm. he would take anything. I mean, he would take anything. And uh, he lied and denied for 10, 10 years. Uh, you know, I, I was a 20-year lawman. I'm looking at him, and I'm going, Mike, you're stoned. <laughs> you're, you're freaking stoned out of your mind. Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not, you know. And, you know, willful <laughs> blindness, I didn't want to see what was right in front of my face. And so uh, yeah, I think we are, you know something, sadly... You know, well, like you said, willful blindness. You know, um, my family experienced that with me. It was willful blindness. They knew that I was a mess, and every time I said, "Yeah, no, 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 no," it was willful blindness. You know, and, and yeah, Helen we're kind experienced of not to even bother well. to ask. If you know, you know, and if you right. ask the person, they're going to say, "Oh no, not me." You know, and then and, you, you know, get madder because they're lying. And my my rational mind knew all of that. You know, I'd been I'd, mm-hmm. I'd been a lawman. I, when I started out as a cop, the little town I was in had a heroin epidemic. My God! So I mean, I, I was dealing with people with railroad checks up and down their arms. And then you know, mm-hmm. by the time I, I, I retired from the FBI, you know, we'd been doing major drug cases and so on and so forth. But but even so, whereas my rational mind said yes, you know, there was some level of my mind that said no. I want to believe them. 
And so yeah. I'm looking at alternate uh, alternate uh, yeah. possibilities. You know, he had a bad pancreas. So I'm going, Mike, if you know, and I knew that people with insulin problems, you know, they they can yeah. they can present as as intoxicated. So I'm going, well, Mike, your pancreas, you must be must be wildly out of whack. You know, you're 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 coming across as as stoned. If it's your pancreas, you got to you know, got to deal with it. Yada yada blah blah. So this we're going back and forth. Where it's like, no, I don't believe you. Yeah, okay, I do believe you. No, I don't believe you. Yeah, I do believe you. And he sat there with a shotgun in his in his lap one 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 day and uh, was threatening to eat it. So uh, you know that uh, it's all wrapped in there. But uh, but that's you know that's my story. And he's he, like I said, thanks be to God, he's been clean for over a year now. And um, he went ahead had to go into he finally he finally hit bottom. After living uh, in, a, in, a, in an abandoned house for, with black mold and uh, right. no food and uh, you know burning burning wood in a fireplace, uh, no electricity, no you know no nothing, um, and uh, you know I, I, I yeah I uh, yeah so I was anyway, just going to be a wise guy and say. Wow, that sounds like a party to me. I mean, you know, my my yeah, okay. my, my bottoms were my bottoms were right around right around that same. Um, madness, you know, you could you could take anyone that I, uh, you know, could hung around with. I mean, actually, when I get out of the Marine Corps, um, I, I noticed in in the book you had uh, gone to the uh, War College in Newport. I had uh, I had um, orders to go to the to barrack support, um, and I couldn't because I lived in New Bedford, Massachusetts, which is thirty five minutes away from the War College in Newport. Um, Something told me that you could not be a Marine during the day and a civilian at night. Fortunately enough, I was wise enough to take my honorable discharge and leave. Um, I could only imagine the damage I would have done to myself to, I mean, what, what the damage I already did to my family name. But, you know, the more damage I could have done to myself um, if I would have stayed in because I was already in gear at that time, you know, with alcohol. Um, you know, I, I didn't claim myself an alcoholic at the time, but I absolutely drank alcoholically. So I can sit here today and say, yes, I was an alcoholic. I was a substitutist. You know, I my um, drug of choice was heroin only because that was what was prevalent in my neighborhood. Um, and because I tried it and couldn't get away from it. But if I think if I didn't try that, I absolutely would have been an alcoholic anyway. You know, and you you had said here in your writings that, you know, after returning from Afghanistan, um, you know, the suicide rate of your battalion was was very high. Did you did you keep it track of everyone? Did you stay like abreast of what everyone was doing and you just saw them? God bless social media today. You know, when I was right. on active duty, I, I, I am not in touch with any of the guys that I was in with. Of course not. I, I, I got off active duty. I went on terminal leave December of 1978. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, back then it was the long distance phone call. They write a letter and we didn't do either. So right. they're all in the wind. I don't know where they are, but Facebook. I'm Facebook friends with people, all, with Marines all over the country. And these are guys that I was over there with. Um, in fact, there's a lot of them are like, they just, you know, if I get a friend request and I don't recognize the guy's name, I look to see who, who his friends are. And if they're Marines, I just say yes. And, yeah. um, so, you know, so, so uh, yeah, I'm in, I'm, I, and I'm in some of the closed groups on Facebook. Um, and so no, I, I, I don't have the exact number. Uh, people have been batting it around, you know, every once in a while it'll be on Facebook. We just lost another one. You know, yeah. and then everybody will be bombarding Facebook. For the love of God, here's my phone number. 
You know, I was an hour away. I would have driven right to your house. Well, you know, why didn't he call me? And there's a lot of that. And uh, we lost 22 killed in action over there. And um, you know, if we if we haven't reached 22 suicides yet, this is just one battalion who did the battalion did a total of eight months in Afghanistan. One battalion. I don't know what the number is up to now, but uh, it uh, you know it's probably close to the 22. Maybe who knows? It might have it might have exceeded it. Right. And that if I find that mind boggling. Um, maybe I can't understand it because nobody in the platoon I was with has committed suicide, thanks be to God. Uh, so, you know, uh, I don't know what it is about the environment that the other guys were in. The battalion's area of operations was the size of the state of Vermont. So we were spread out. Yeah. And I I picked one spot. You know, I did gravitate to one spot. If you read the book, you know, you know how I ended up there. And uh, so, you know, like I said, nobody in my platoon... Uh, chose a uh, permanent solution to a temporary problem. Uh, so uh, so I, I, I can't say, well, you know, I, I understand or I don't understand or whatever. I, I don't know. But right. well, let me, let me ask you a question. Support uh, here, you know, when they get back. And, and you know, I, I can't even begin to imagine what, what that must be like. But, you know, these are young guys. Maybe they don't even realize until, you know, their mind has gone way too far down the road you know, to bring it back easily, and you hear a lot of stories about lack of support. Well, you know, just to, just to share my, my understanding, I use, the, uh, I use the VA hospital, and there is that much more of an awareness this year and last year with PTSD-related uh, suicide or alcohol-related suicide, drug-related suicide, than there have been since I got out in '86. I've always used the VA, whether it was a Providence VA, the West Palm VA, where I'm at now. Um, there wasn't that heightened awareness about suicide. And also even on um, social media, you know, there's uh, do 22 push-ups a day for 22 days for the veteran that's suffering uh, because we're losing 22 a day, they say, to suicide. Yeah. Uh, that's that's yeah. a high number. That's scary. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's well, not yeah. like the, the Vietnam era, you know, when they came back and they were not heroes. These guys are generally looked up right. to and respected. Right. Very true. But, it, it, Very you know, true. What, they, what they are doing and seeing must be really, really doing a number on a lot of them. I heard um, there was a guy at a VA two or three days ago, and he was refused some kind of service, and he shot himself out in the parking lot. Yeah. Ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, it's horrible. That's like calling a you know, suicide hotline uh, being put on hold. You know, it's like yeah, exactly. Minute. Yeah, right. You know? Like, like, like your recruiter saying, "Don't call us; we'll call you." Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, how, yeah, so not how do you to bash think the, the VA the too much? But I did work at, at a VA hospital quite a while. You know, it was maybe twenty-five years ago, and I was not impressed with the services. I, I think it really varies thing. from I've hospital to hospital. I mean, yeah, I think so too. You know, and it can be dramatic. It can be a drastic. Uh, change. Uh, I've got a Vietnam vet friend of mine, a former Marine, uh, who uh, just absolutely loves the VA hospital in Gainesville, Florida. And they've taken very good care of him. Um, my buddy Jack, for a long time, worked uh, for the VA in uh, in Providence, Rhode Island. And right. uh, In fact, uh, you know, he got me in there, and I, I got 10% for hearing loss for, from uh, my artillery days. Um, you know, and they were very good. They were very professional, very accommodating. Um, I, I, I think, and he told me, you know, because we were sharing a house. He said, "Yeah, they're really, they're really big on suicide now. We're we're supposed to ask everybody 
certain questions that would might, might alert us to the suicidal tendencies. But whether there was any, whether there were any programs in place or not to help somebody, I don't, I don't know that. But what you find on social media is the ad hoc guys. That means the guys who are just on their own, like uh, you know, in, in the group, in the closed group on Facebook, Second Battalion, Seventh Marines. The guys are out there. I mean, they're 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 all just. They call each other brother, and they mean it. And um, and of course, I understand. You know, I, I would have taken a bullet for any one of those guys. No, I hear. I do. Yeah, and I believe they would have for me too. Um, mm. You know, and uh, it's they're 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 baffled, they're shocked, they're dismayed, they're disheartened, they're they're mournful. Whenever a guy takes his life, so that gets back to to me to the whole point of how come. And you know, I I, I started as a, as a cop in 1972. Dick, well. December of seventy one, and um, and Where I, were you I learned a lot. Uh, Wapiters Falls, uh, New York, Dutchess County, outside Poughkeepsie, okay. and then I, uh, I I spent some time there, and I went a little a little, little town, six population six thousand, about two and a half square miles, twelve bars. I don't know how many liquor stores, and a huge heroin problem. <laughs> uh, seriously, I mean you know, yeah. and then I went I went with the Dutchess County Sheriff's Department. That rounded out my four years, but. Um, then I joined the Marines. I always do things backwards. Then I joined the Marines, and you know, then I went, became an FBI agent. Then I went to law school. Then I went to Afghanistan. So, like, yeah, I do. I, I'm living my life backwards. But, uh, but where I'm going with all that is, you know, I've kind of seen some things that that give me certain perspective, and I know that a lot of times people will self-medicate, and they self-medicate because in that moment it's just unbearable, and. Absolutely. Most people will self-medicate with alcohol, and most people who, who do, it's a temporary thing, and, and all right, they're hungover, and then they, they don't. Um, you know, not everybody becomes an alcoholic. Uh, you know, uh, some people, a lot of people will self-medicate with marijuana, and it's my opinion, and some of the studies I've read uh, confirm this, um, just as with alcohol, not everyone who drinks will become an alcoholic, so too, but some do. So too with marijuana, most people don't become addicted to marijuana, but God damn it, some do. And I don't want to hear oh, about yeah. it. It's bullshit. I know some that, that are heavily, heavily addicted to that. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. I think it's, it's just as bad as anything else. I mean, you're probably not going to die from it. That's that's the only upside. Yeah. Right, well, but, we're coming up on a, we're coming up on a break again, so I need to cut you off and okay. hold on to that thought. Hold on to that thought. We will share a little bit more about Terry's life, Terry's book, and um, the problems that still exist out there. Um, and I don't think we're going to solve them during this show. But guess what? We're making them known. We'll be back on the other side of the break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. If you have been experiencing addiction issues, be it drugs, alcohol, or something else, you know what it means to feel alone in the world. The power to create yourself with host Ross Ramin is here to prove that you don't have to feel this way. There are others who have been there or are still there, and together we can sort out the truths and the lies in order to reveal the true essence of your character. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. 
you understand what really needs to be done for your health? Or like many, are you mostly letting what you hear and see in today's media dictate your healthy lifestyle? It's time to get focused. There is a reason why cancer, heart disease, chronic fatigue, hypothyroidism, and other illnesses are running rampant in our world. Ganino Wellness Radio with Dr. John and Linda Ganino will show you that there are easy, preventative, everyday steps to get you back on track. Listen live every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Tune in to Happy and Healthy Living with Darlene Godwin to better understand the why on how you feel and find the right therapies, treatments, and programs to bring healing to the mind, body, and spirit. You can live a better life at any age. It's not just a temporary fix. Rather, it's a permanent, healthy lifestyle. Happy and Healthy Living with Darlene Godwin is broadcast live every Wednesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Miracles in Recovery. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to ray at miraclesinrecovery.org. Now, back to this week's show. Hey, welcome back, everyone. We are with Terry McGowan. And we're going to pick the conversation back up where we left off. There's a couple of holes that I'd like to fill, a couple of questions that I'd like to ask. But phone lines are open. Dial 866-472-5792 if you have any questions for Terry, if you want to share a little bit of your experience. Um, Terry, did you actually participate in combat while you were over? Yes. Uh, Two major engagements uh, lasted a total of about nine hours. And, you know, I was... Taking fire and giving fire. So, yes. So, so how did that experience change you? Like, I, I know that you went in, you dove in saying, I need to help. After 9-11, like you said, every, all Americans felt the need to do something. You actively got yourself back there. And I now a, you're I home a, to think about it. I have a theory about PTSD. Oh, first of all, when I came home, I thought I was fine. And mm-hmm. later on, when I was fine, everybody told me I was a mess. Uh, right. You know, you mentioned earlier you were a real mess. Apparently, so was I, and uh, certainly I was drinking my face off. Um, you know, I, I was really unaware of just how messed up I was, and, and until I was no longer messed up, and then could look back. And like I said, they said, "Boy, no, no, you were a real mess." I'm going, "Wow," but um, I, I have a theory that you know uh, that as a cop and a lawman, I was inoculated against PTSD by the by the traumas that I that I uh, experienced in smaller doses uh, over a 20-year period. I still remember okay, like sense. it was I still remember like it was last night. Uh, it was January of 1972. I don't think I've been a cop 30 days yet. And uh, I pulled my first dead kid out of a car. Uh, oh, it was wow. bitterly cold. I, I'd never handled a dead body before. And the short version is uh, I thought he was going to spill out of his clothes and land on the sidewalk, you know, butt first, buck, buck naked. Uh, I will remember that till the day I die. And that was a long time ago. So that was traumatic. But, um, you know, everybody has post-traumatic stress. Uh, the, the question is, 
do we add the D on that? Does it become a disorder? Are you unable to right. function in life? One of the interesting uh, little quirks for me is we were first attacked. Uh, I ended up where I ended up. I went there deliberately because all the intelligence said they were going to be overrun. They wanted to put these guys to the sword. And um, I, I knew that I had FBI radar. I knew I could smell things that nobody else could. And that's in the book. I won't belabor the issue now on the phone. Right. But I went up there, and sure enough, at 1 o'clock in the morning, bang, it, it started. And it became daylight. The sky started to get, get light at 4 a.m. Uh, at that latitude and that time of year. To this day, I mean, my conscious mind says, there's no Taliban coming, in, coming around my house. My conscious mind will not let me fall asleep till about 4 a.m. I will lay in bed and just think happy thoughts, and I will not fall asleep before 4 a.m. My lizard brain is still looking out for me. Right, um, they, they whacked out your clock. Yeah, you know, and, and fortunately yeah. being retired, I can make it up on the other end. I'll still get, my, my, I'll still get a good night's sleep, if you will, uh, but, it's, but it's, there's just an indelible change in my biological clock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and nothing you know, I do can change that. You know, Ellen and I have spoken on many occasions on the air or even off the air that I think we all walk around with some form of PTSD um, because of the um, the madness that that's, that's in our living rooms. You know what I mean? Like with the media and even outside our door. There's Look at Chicago. I mean, you don't have PTSD if you live in Chicago. Sure you yeah. do. Um, you well, know, what so happened, I think, you know, on the campus at, at Ohio State today? I mean, there's there's a lot to be scared of. Well, what happened? Uh, they had a, a Somali kid who Somali. jumped a curb, ran over a bunch of people, and then jumped out of his car and started stabbing them, and they shot him. Oh, jeesh. And he yeah. was radicalized, and, you know. It's a cop one minute away. Story. It took, took a cop one yeah. minute to get there. Sadly. Yeah. You know, yeah, so you know, so much about gun control. I mean, this guy didn't need a gun, but uh, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, there's that. But um, well, you know, the you know the the thing about that is is you know um, sharing a little bit of your experience with um, drinking alcoholically and um, acting acting out in behavior that you are unaware of. Uh, we have a large listening audience who. Um, is probably aware of it, and they still act out on it because they can't get out of their own way. They're, they're the other side of the people who you said can drink but don't become alcoholics. A lot right. of the people that we cater to or our, or, or our constant listenership is the alcoholic or the family of the alcoholic or the drug addict or the family of as well. You know, And I do know personally a lot of people that I served with um, – did have some form of, and, they, and you know, I mean, only because of social media. You say it brings it brings you a platoon, it brings you a battalion, brings my squadron right back into my living room with me. And, you know, living and, and joking and smoking with them a little bit, um, you know, you get to find out that they've all gone through some type or form of uh, PTSD. And... You know, I don't necessarily know if along with alcoholism, drug addiction, and all of the, you know, the disease of the mind, I don't necessarily know if we don't treat that as well in these, in these situations where we're treating the effect, we're treating the ism, which is, which is alcohol or drugs, and then we're putting people back out on the street still PTSD'd up 
And what are they going to do? They're going to turn back to what they know best. Well, let me jump in on that one because this is a major point that I wanted to uh, I wanted to make. The, the book is the book was named "The Silence of War" after it was written. Uh, in fact, it was my agent that suggested that, and it, because of a, a story that I that I tell in the book, I wasn't going to put it in the book. I was talking to him on the phone. I tell him about it. He goes, "Oh, that's got to be in the book," and uh, and uh, it beca- it became the title. What it is is unlike most books. I will tell you what I felt, when I felt it, how I felt it, why I felt it, as in real time, more or less. And and one of the things with with PTSD and and, and combat vets and all that is that they, they, I can tell you, I was at, when I was a peacetime marine, Ray. I got off active duty. I couldn't relate to civilians. Right. I couldn't talk to my old friends. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't because of PTSD. I just didn't know what to talk to them about. It took me about a year to get over that. And, and I've often pondered that. If it took me a year as a, to transition from a, a peacetime Marine uh, to back to normal, so to speak, how, you know, it, because it was more than just combat, it was a way of life. Right. And I had to transition out of that way of life and back to a civilian way of life. And I know a lot of guys have problems with that. Um, but the thing of it is you've got to break the silence, guys. You've got to break the silence. You, you, you got friends out there who, who will talk to you. They want to talk to you. Hell, they want to talk too. You know, put right. two guys together exactly. that have, have combat experience, and or maybe having sleep problems. And all you know, they won't talk to their wives, but they'll talk to each other. So do it because they're there. They're there, and they want to talk to you, uh, and, and they want somebody to listen to. Yeah, but and like you, but like you said though, I mean, the tough thing is, is that you know, from one marine to another, it's easy for you and I to have a conversation about what we did, what we saw, who we were with. But to share that with Ellen, it kind of falls by the wayside. You know, you know what you understand Absolutely. what I mean, and I don't yeah. necessarily know if she would get that or not. But like I, you know, no, the brothers I think, that I, I went I to the I trenches. I think I do honestly. There is no possible way that I could relate on any level to that. And you know, right. like I said, my brother did three tours. He has never ever spoken with me about what happened to him. I know he got a Purple Heart. I know he was wounded. Um, I know he's partially deaf. Like Terry was saying, I guess there's a lot of noise, but I don't know what happened to him. Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to make a joke it. here. You said he's partially deaf. How long has he been married for? <laughs> a long time. <laughs> a long time. We, yeah. we, only, we only have about three minutes left, sadly. I mean, this has been a very interesting show, and I've, I've enjoyed every single minute of it because, you know, Terry, you're an awesome, you're an awesome guest. Um, I enjoy reading the book. The name of the book is The Silence of War, An Old Marine in a Young Marine's War. Terrence Patrick McGowan, forward by Bill O'Reilly. If you haven't read it or if you're looking up on if you're looking for it, please, by all means, get it. Uh, you know, I even bought a Kindle so I could read it on the Kindle because I'm not a reader. So I had to find some other way to how to, to be able to get through it. And it caught me. Because I can relate. And, you know, I, I, I wholeheartedly appreciate you coming on, Terry, and sharing a little sure. bit of your experience, strength, and hope. Let me throw with, this with, out there, Ray, because I think it's important. Sure. It's one of the reasons that I, the book is named the way it is. Um, uh, on Amazon, there's reviews, and 90% of the reviews are four-star or five-star. Most people love it. Uh, some people, of course, don't. But one, one person wrote, I was really hoping that I would learn, you know, my, my son or whoever is, is over there right now, 
and I was really hoping that I would learn how to deal with him when he comes back. And I, I, the book left me flat, and I thought, Mother of God, you know, what, what lady, what, you know, or, or sir, or whatever. You know, what, what do you want? Uh, uh, you know, a how-to handbook? You want to know how he feels? Read the book. Read it again. He's going to feel the way I felt, and I'm telling you how I felt. So, therefore, I'm telling you by inference, I'm telling you how he's going to feel. I'm telling right. you how he feels. You know, just, you know, I guess they were wanting step one, you know, shake his hand. Step two. Oh, yeah, right. Everybody wants, the, everybody wants the Everybody wants fit. the handbook. Yeah, yep, everybody yeah. wants the so like I said, we only got a couple of minutes left okay. and uh, going to stick this out there now that Terry, we need you to come back and um, it would be, it would be great if we had another hour to do this in. Um, sure. I think your message is, your message is fantastic. And, you know, I, I want to make sure that we touch a lot more of the subjects that we did breach, you know, like PTSD. More than willing, right? More than willing. So, you know, so um, with that, I'm going to, I already did thank you. <laughs> I'm going to thank the audience for listening. And if you have any questions, by all means, give us a call. My name is Ray. And I'm Ellen. And we are Miracles in Recovery. Miracles in Recovery. We beat you to it. Okay. Have a blessed <laughs> night, everybody. Thanks, Terry. Good night, everybody. Thank you for joining us this week for Miracles in Recovery. Be sure to listen again for another edition with your host, Ray Lynch, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel next Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a great week. Hope is in your corner.